You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Yeah, Lord, we just welcome your presence. We are hungry, desperate. We've just sung it, but it's more than a song. It's a truth and a posture of our hearts. I pray even now we just become aware of your presence, Lord. We start to acknowledge your presence among us. We're people of the presence, and there's power in that presence. Come, Holy Spirit. I just want to pray for you, those of you that are new to this, those of you that are exploring Jesus, those of you that aren't even too sure why you're in the room, that you just have the moment to explore to experience something of the presence of God. Lord, we welcome you. Amen. You know, um, some of you may not know this, but we set out on a bit of a journey with a building just up the road. We called it 422. It was a huge step of faith. And um, I can't even remember where it was. I think it was in the February of 2019. We came to you and said, look, the Lord has put a dream in our hearts kind of need some seed money for the for the council and others to take us seriously and we said we needed 150,000 pound and within five weeks you gave us 212 which was I'm still can't quite get my head around that we were a small group of people at that time it was unbelievable but we also knew and I think you knew that it was going to need more than that it that was like seed money it was phenomenally generous but we were also stepping out in faith and asking the Lord to give us more and We've asked you a number of times between then and now to pray and to kind of rend the heavens that the Lord would open doors and something would happen. And and, an incredible amount of hard work has happened between the scenes between then and now and actually will continue. But last week, in last week alone, a number of funding bids and different streams kind of came together in literally the space of a, a week or so. And I'm not yet in a position to fully share with you amounts and details as we need to do a bit of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and all that. But I just want to take a moment to celebrate with you quite a significant amount of money has rolled in. Multiples and multiples of what you gave. I literally mean hundreds of thousands. And I, I, I just want to tell you that. Because it's phenomenal. And to God be the glory for the moment of faith we stepped out in what he's done. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your resolve. Thank you for your passion and your commitment to love and serve the needs of this city. It is remarkable. I am excited. I'm delighted one day we'll get to share more detail. But couldn't not say that. I know a number of you are like, what's going on? We prayed. What's happening? It's like, trust me, the Lord has been good to us. Let's just just take a moment. Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Lord, and thank you. And we acknowledge the source and the root behind it all. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would never lack faith. We haven't haven't done it. It isn't a box ticked. Lord, I pray that we'd we'd continually be a church that steps out in faith, leaning and trusting and yearning for moves of God among us. We believe so much for this church, for this city, for lives to be transformed and impacted. 
But Lord, in this moment, we just say thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness to us. Thank you that you always pay for what you ordered. And you've done it again. To God be the glory. Amen. It's quite remarkable, you know. I'm kind of buzzing about it, if I'm honest. Um, Today, I just want to continue a series I started a few weeks ago called An Outward Looking Church. We want to be a people that have a, a vision beyond human capability. Surely that's who we are. Surely that's who we want to be. And I kind of just want to stir us and our resolve for that afresh this week. I've called this week's talk quite, quite an odd title. You might be like, where are we going with this? Hopefully it'll make more sense. But it's this, practice weight training, not bodybuilding. Practice weight training, not bodybuilding. Loads of your faces are like, where is this guy going? It's going to be all right. Incre- intriguing title. Anyway, in, in about the year 2000, I, uh, one of my colleagues was called Rich. And um, great guy, proper lazy, like on another level lazy. So you're like, oh, he's, you're saying he's lazy. It was like, no, he was lazy, lazy. Okay, and uh, I, I, he is what I would now call a minimalist. If he didn't need to do it, he didn't do it. We were colleagues in the time at the fire service. He lived near me. We drove about an hour's drive to work. Literally, for the three or four years I I knew him, I drove every day. He never drove because he didn't need to drive because I was going to drive because we lived near each other. That's kind of the guy he was. He was a minimalist. Now, I could tell you multiple stories about it, and you'd be like, I get what you're saying, but you're just going to have to trust me because of time. He was a minimalist. Um, but I will just tell you one story. We're sat on the sofa at work, as you do, and um, he's watching TV, and the TV is a little way away, and the TV remote has broke. So it's either I do it or he's creative. He got, you know, like the, not a snooker cue, but you know you get the extension for a snooker cue that makes it way longer. He used that, and he used it all the time. That's kind of like, you just got to, I could tell you 50, 60 stories straight away, but that's how this guy worked but as well as being a minimalist what he was about in a big way was looking good that was like his thing so he didn't do a lot but he just wanted to look good so you know those magazines that you get with um, bodybuilders where their muscles are literally popping out I, I say those magazines, uh, just FYI, I've, I've never actually, I don't even know if that is a thing, I've never read one, I don't have one but apparently I guess that, I don't know, anyway he's, he's that guy so he's a minimalist So to be all of that and to achieve all of that, and it was literally his life's obsession to be that, he would do the absolute minimum to achieve looking that good and looking like that. So his life kind of revolved around protein shakes. And like it's the quick, I don't know whether it's the quick way, I'm not professional in these things, but for him it was the quick way. He did minimum gym work. He did what he had to do to look good because he was about looking good. And his sole purpose with training was looking good. So hopefully what you've taken so far is he was a minimalist and he wanted to look good. And he did minimal gym work to do it. So his desire was for his body to look muscular and beautiful, symmetrical, physical, imposing, all of that. It It was never about strength. It was always about looking good. So that's rich. Let's just park that one there. Then, then you've got the weightlifters, okay? Now, you can tell that I opted for neither, but um, I used to go to this gym called Unique Physique, and uh, it, was, it was run by this... I, I know, I know. Well, I said we'll wait for the story. But anyway, it was run by this guy called Russ, okay? Russ is... Um, I don't know whether he is now, but at the time, he was a retained fireman, so it was like his part-time job, but he also ran the gym, he was also a fireman. 
And uh, this was like a weights gym. Most of you will have never been to like a weights gym, but this was a weights gym, okay? So cardio machines, new. No. Like none of that, okay? Like machines in general, no. It was just weights and weights and bars. And uh, it was down in a basement underneath a clothing shop. It, I kind of get a bit of a picture of it, but most of you had never been to anything like this. It was horrendous. Like, as you walked in, as you just walked by, you're heading into the basement, you could just smell, like, the, the sweat. It was, it was, like, filthy and revolting. It wasn't pretty. And they've got this odd fan on in the top of the corner, like, 1920s fan that barely worked. And it's just blowing the sweat around. It was, like, it was filthy. Uh, it was not a COVID-skill venue, but let's not talk about that. Anyway, I'd like to say that I worked hard in that gym, but it was intimidating because the other guys in this gym are like, they're massive. They're like, well, I would have used the language then, you might not now, but it was like they were stacked. So I would always do a quick few reps while no one was looking, and then I'd quick walk away. But what I'd do is I'd just lower the pin down on some of the things so that it looked like I was lifting a significant thing. And they, they would just look at me afterwards, and they're like, huh, you don't look it, but you're lifting some it. Do you know what I mean? So anyway... Um, they're looking at me like, you're more than you seem. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm faking it till I make it. But anyway, Russ, this guy, he kind of became, I wouldn't say a mate, I chatted with him. And when I say chatted with him, I didn't actually chat with him because he didn't really have words. He, it was more like grunts and like, lift things. So anyway, what he used to say to me and my brother when we went is like, chicken and tuna, lad. Chicken and tuna. That's pretty much all he said to us. And what we took from it, well, what we eventually worked out is four times a day, chicken and tuna, that's it nothing else that was his way of doing the like the body thing and I, I you kind of like oh Paul you're joking I am not joking but of course we were like young and impressionable we committed to it so we did that for like half a day I reckon and then <laughs> I'm driving past Mackey and they all caved in and went a bit wrong but I, I I tell you this regardless I think I don't actually know but apparently weight training is is hard work it takes time and it takes commitment and it's funny because bodybuilding and weight training, again, I say this, you wouldn't know it by looking at me. And actually, I, I, have, I have no understanding. Some of you will come to me afterwards and like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're right, I don't know what I'm talking about. But they're different. They're significantly different. But you get the grunts and groans and all of that with both. You get the clang of the weights hitting the floor. But as much as they look the same, they divide significantly on purpose. That's what I want you to take from this. The two are so different because of the purpose. Athletic records are continually been broken. We saw it with the Olympics in Tokyo this year for a number of reasons, but partly because of the strength and the capacity of athletes that is increasing due to weight training. Pre-1970s, the theory was that muscle bulk slowed you down. Now they've started to realise it makes you incredibly competitive. Athletes train, and they train with weights. Again, I say all of that like I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just want you to latch on to the overall principle. For an athlete, weight training is a means to a greater end. Building strength, flexibility, balance, to go faster, to go higher, to be stronger. Tiger Woods changed the face of golf through weight training. Most sports have incorporated it now. On the whole, athletes train for the event. They train for the event. Training is not the event. Bodybuilding is totally different. They train with weights for the sole purpose of making their bodies look good. 
is the fake tan. And I know I'm totally polarizing the two, and you're gonna tell me afterwards you polarize the two, that's not how it is. But listen, this, this is really my point. For us to be an outward-looking church, for us to have an outward focus, to have a heart and a dream to transform communities, for us to be that, we need to build the body of the church, the body of Christ, the church, not to show off its size and its strength, but to expand its capacity for ministry and for service. We're not trying to be, you've probably noticed, we're not trying to be impressive. We're not trying to look good. This isn't about performance or some kind of flashy presentation. This is about being a training facility that allows us to be internally strong but externally focused. That's the heart of who we are. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Because some of you are probably still thinking about Rich and his protein shakes, but I, just, I want that illustration to be helpful for you as I'm just going to unpack three points today. And they all begin with W. Some of you are like, what? I know. If, uh, don't clap because you're going to see what happens here. But if, if you're new, this is just how my mind works. I'm so sorry. Please just humor me for the moment. It's going to be quicker if we just get through it and get it over with. But look, there's, there's three Ws, okay? There's works, that's the first, who, and then one, okay? Now, I know one doesn't begin with a W, but I'm dyslexic. Anyway, one, Wuhan. Anyway, it's, it should actually be said on E. But, hey, that's just, maybe that's just me. Anyway, I'm trying to help you remember it. That's my point. Don't get lost in the Ws. Uh, hopefully this is memorable. But anyway, it will be memorable. Um, let's, let's read the Bible quick. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9 says this. God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This verse is a big deal. It's a big deal if we want to be an outward-focused church. Verse 8 to 9 talks about how we're saved. We're saved through grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I hope we believe that. I hope we understand that. But verse 10 tells us why we're saved. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. Many of you will have experienced verse 8 to 9 but we also need to experience verse 10. He didn't just call us out of something, he called us into something. He didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. There is a gap in our lives that is waiting to be filled. He's not just my saviour, he's also my Lord. I'm not just saved, I'm sent. We're a people that are called to do something about the thing that he has done for us. The fact that God has prepared for us good works to do beforehand kind of implies that these good works are ours to discover rather than invent. We don't have to invent this. we just got to discover it. This, I, I, that actually started with maybe something like, oh, this is kind of a really serious thing to say. This has huge implications for our lives and the way we live. I see a significant part of the church that we are as being a continual mechanism to give you as many opportunities as we possibly can to discover your Ephesians 2.10 calling on your life. We want to help you work out the good works that he has prepared for you to do in advance. You don't have to invent it. You just have to discover it. You were created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he planned for you to do long ago. 
that's it's kind of a worthy goal, I would say, for everybody who follows Jesus or wants to discover who Jesus is to start stepping into the good works that he planned for you to do long ago because we're his hands and his feet and his voice in this world. And every major resource, every gift, every talent, everything that he's given us isn't just for personal use or for our experience, it's to make a difference in the world. I mean, if we were Pentecostals, I'd be like, do you believe that? Like, that's, a, that's a big deal. Now, I also believe this, that the more we live out our Ephesians 10, sorry, Ephesians 2.10 calling, the more people are going to discover their Ephesians 2.8-9 calling grace. Because the more we do the good works, the more it reveals something of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Because we're called to do good works, and as we do good works, the more people are going to discover that grace. Because it's just a... It's a, it's a cycle thing. It's, it's a, this is a powerful thing. So that's the first W that actually is a W. The second W, who? Well, this may be obvious, but the who is kind of you. We spend so much of our time in these Jesus-following environments thinking that the only person that gets to do the, the Jesus stuff, forgive me for the phrase here, some of this may be a bit over your head, but it's like the big cheese. You know, that's the only person that gets to do the Jesus stuff. Now, firstly, I have never, will never, and could never refer to myself as a big cheese, but I've heard people say that. I'm like, is that a good thing? Like, but what I'm trying to say is sometimes people think this stuff is just down to the church leader. It's not down to the church leader. This, this is my point. It's about you. Often we try and deflect it onto somebody else and we make out those professionals who are going to do the Jesus thing. You know, it becomes the church leader, it becomes the small group leader, it becomes the one who studied theology, it becomes the person with the biggest Bible, it becomes the one who has the daily time of prayer that we always wish we had, but we never... You can kind of... You probably have 30 things that you could put in that list of why you can't and why somebody else in this room probably can. You will always find somebody else to land this on. But honestly, I believe this is for you, it's for me, it's for all of us. When Jesus chose his team, it was after a time of prayer and quite intentionally selecting those that were best suited for the task. And I reflect on this all the time. Honestly, I spend a lot of time reflecting on this because I know if God can use them, God can use me. Because sometimes I look at the lives of the disciples and I'm like, really? And then I see some of those traits and elements in myself. If he could use them, I don't think you could come up with hardly anything that would actually disqualify him from wanting to use you because it's not about your ability, it's about your availability. Matthew was employed by Rome as a tax collector and he's serving on the same team as Simon who's a zealot. There's the power-hungry and volatile sons of thunder, James and John. You've got Andrew who seemed to be ready to do and believe almost anything. And then you've got Thomas, on the other hand, who struggled to believe almost anything that he couldn't see or experience for himself. And then among his disciples, and I think it's no secret that Jesus had his inner circle of Peter, James and John, these guys that accompanied him and were around him more frequently, and yet only one of them is given the trusted position of looking after his mother. I guess what I'm trying to say is that group of people were kind of primed for conflict and disorder and fallout with each other. And yet they had a significant range of gifts and talents, but also weaknesses and challenges that were waiting to be discovered. No wonder Jesus regularly seeks out 
the Father for love and unity among them because sometimes they were clashing and banging heads with each other. And he calls us to do the same thing, not even individually, but as a body. What would in the natural, sometimes you might say, there is no way this is going to work. We don't know each other that well. I've only been here one week. I've been here a few weeks. I think I could find ways to clash with you and fall out with you. The, The only way this thing, this body, this army, this family that the Lord creates among us will work is if we have the Holy Spirit powerfully present among us, uniting us in the unity of love that only comes from the Father. I have never been part of anything so wonderful than the gathered church prepared to spend their hearts and lives on the city around them. We don't look for an audience to fill the church. We look for an army that is going to seek to change the world. Now, what, what, who is this army? This army is you. Now, this is the awkward bit where you probably look around the room and you think, well, he actually means the person next to you. No, I mean you. I don't, I don't want to actually patronise you by saying it to every single one of you because it would take a long time as well. But I, I really mean each and every one of you. Verse 10 says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. That's phenomenal, isn't it? So what are we going to do about it? We've kind of got to be ready for that. Okay, so the good works, how are we going to be prepared? How are we going to be ready? What are some of the resources that he gives us? I just want to list off a few resources. There's loads. But just for the next few minutes, I want to try and equip some of you to realize, actually, not only is it you, but he's given you the tools and the equipping to do it. Here's here's one. It is part of the role of a leader. It's part of submitting and partnering with those who lead you. That might be your small group leader, your overseer, us as church leaders. The list could go on. I would say, and I need you to know, I'm a man under authority. People speak into my life, Steph's life, to awaken us to all that the Father might want to do in us and through us. All that we're seeking to do isn't just as a church to make us feel better about ourselves, but to equip us for every good work that he has called us to do. The role of a leader, therefore, needs to shift just from one who tends to the needs and the hurts of the people in the church, but to the one who teaches and trains people to tend to the needs and hurts of the community. We've got to elevate our perspective. I'm not saying I don't care about you. I care about you deeply. But it has to be more than us. I'm not trying to dismiss our needs in any way. We want to be inwardly strong, but outwardly focused. That's, that's the first one. It's the part of a leader's role. The second one is this. The Bible equips us for good works. How do we know that? Well, because <laughs> it tells us. It's genius, really. Hold on, let me just, let me just find it. I want to read this to you. It says this in um, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. I honestly prefer it when it just teaches me what is right. We have to stick ourselves before it and say, Lord, correct me and teach me when I'm wrong. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Bible's not a protein shake. We're not seeking to look good, to feel good, or to add muscle mass. It's kind of like an energy bar. It's supposed to enable us to do what we need to do and to live it out. If, if you aren't currently, I would encourage you, find a rhythm of reading the Bible and read it regularly. And then don't be surprised that everything under the sun 
is going to try and deter and distract that time and space from you doing it. Of course it is, because it's supposed to equip us and prepare us for every good work. So we've got then each other. We've got leaders, Bible, each other. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. If ever there was a verse to embed on your hearts in the season we're currently in, for me, I would say that is one of them because our culture, our capacity, the enemy, our own insecurities and vulnerabilities are all fighting for us not to be together as a community and to just do the bodybuilder thing instead. You know, do the minimum, look good, get it over the line, make it a Sunday thing, sack the rest of it. Honestly, it's not meant to be like that. The passage says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another. I wanna, I wanna encourage you now. Charham did a phenomenal job, but join a small group, get people around you. And not only get people around you, but be an encouragement to them. Let them encourage you and let them encourage you to do good works. There's, there's a really easy test to work out if that is working. And really, I'm not trying to patronize you, but it is so simple. When, when people are around you, do they feel encouraged? Because that's the people that we're called to be. That's kind of the journey that we're on. So that's the test. When people are around you, do they feel motivated and encouraged to do the good works and to step out and do the kingdom stuff, to do good works, to find out their place and fit within the body of Christ? Now, of course, there's attention to that. I'm not trying to dismiss that. We need to find safe places, places where we can process the, the pains of life. We need to know at times that we need to be in the hospital of the church to recover and heal, but we don't want to stay in hospital. That's kind of a, a given, surely. It isn't the place we want to stay. We want to get healed up and get out there and help others get healed up. Hurt people, hurt people, free people, free people. Man, I, I, you might not realize it now. I was a mess when I joined the vineyard. I was a mess. I could, we could spend a day talking about it, but I got healed up. But I need you to know I'm not fully healed up. I'm still getting healed up. I'm not who I was, but also I'm not who he believes I could be or should be. I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to cause any of you to feel now that you need to hide the pain or feel ashamed. But I think it's important for us all to have on our radar that the aim and the target is to get healed up. Be in the hospital when we need to be in it, but we come out of it and we press into being the army. Equally, we'll bounce in and out of you. Sometimes you have to be a day visitor. You have to pop in and get some advice. Of course, the, the, the journey of the hospital is like a lifelong journey, but the purpose isn't we stay on the sick bed permanently. We, get, we don't also wait to get healed up. So often I hear it, people are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till I get healed up to do the good works. Actually, that's kind of how you get healed up. Sometimes get out there, do the good works, and as we go, it's what Jesus taught us. We don't wait to get healed. We go, and he heals us. He gives us like-minded friends to encourage us and spur us on to make a difference. Spiritual friendships are such a precious gift. They really are. If, if you don't have that in your life, join some of those small communities we talked about. Get people alongside you. So it's leaders, Bible, each other, then spiritual gifts. Let me read this to you. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift 
from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking and speak as though God himself was speaking through you? Do you have the gift of helping others do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies? Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God gives us spiritual gifts. They're not for ourselves, they're for us to serve others. The focus is always outside of ourselves. It's always a gift to serve others. God has given you, it says, each of you, a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Phenomenal, isn't it? He gives us these things that equips us to do the stuff that he's calling us to do. So we've got leaders, Bible, each other, spiritual gifts. Do you know where most people find and discover their spiritual gifts? It's being around their leaders, it's reading their Bible, and it's being in community with each other and serving others. Do you, do you see how it goes? It's like a rhythm of what I've said this morning. Leaders, Bible, each other, spiritual gifts. The place we often discover spiritual gifts is in those other environments. They all affect each other and build on each other. You pull one out and you weaken the whole. Therefore, I think it's kind of obvious that Paul has to remind and encourage us, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Because it's going to destabilize everything else that he's going to do to equip us for what he's called us to. Because he has to say that then, but I think we'd say it now, a key thing in culture, our capacity, the enemy, our own insecurities and vulnerabilities is that it's going to try and limit and block all of those very things because it's the pathway to releasing the power of God on and in our lives. So what are the resources he gives us among so many others? It's leaders, Bible, each other, spiritual gifts. The final one I wanted to mention this morning is this, is finances. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 18 says this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be joining up their treasure, sorry, storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Wealth is entrusted to us so that we have greater capacity to do good and to be rich in good works. I can't even in words quickly begin to tell you the delight it is to be in this church, not just because we lead it, and it really isn't, but we are therefore probably quite biased, but because of what we see happening here is an expression of the kingdom that is a sheer delight to be part of. We give of our money to allow the church to be the church, and I thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience in doing so. I could give you many, many examples, and there probably isn't time right now, but I will do another time. But over the last year, we've seen not just in the city, but among us, so much need that we cannot not respond to it. You, you just can't not whether you have the resource or not. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I came aware of a need that we just had to respond to. It wasn't like, do we have the resources? Like, well, we're going to respond anyway, Lord. You're going to have to do something. But we were also instantly able to respond in reality because of your generosity. Your faithfulness 
as a church family to be faithful, generous stewards of your resources to allow us to collectively, inwardly, not only function, but to be generous to each other, but also to do the same externally for the city is remarkable. And I'm not sure I have the words other than breathtaking. I honour your generosity this morning, and I realise there is a cost to it. We've often, as a church, prioritised others over ourselves. But that is the kingdom thing to do. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I believe actually the Lord blesses it, to be honest. I think some of what we've just seen with what I mentioned over 422 is as we turn our hearts to the city, he pours into us. But here's, here's my point. Every major resource that the Father gives us, lead us to prepare us, the Bible to equip us, the church family to encourage us, spiritual gifts to enable us, and, and finances to resource it all. It all points to doing something. Do you see that in all of those points? We're supposed to do something. This isn't a bodybuilding thing. This is a weight training thing, that we're trained up for a purpose to do something. A healthy church is a serving church. Without service, we become like the marathon runner that is just carb loading but doesn't actually race. It, it makes no sense. So the three Ws, works, who, the final one is a quick one, and it is one, sort of, anyway. But for, for, for the one... I. I want to make this personal to you. I was thinking about this. I want to land this in a way that this actually changes not only the way you think, but the way you live. As a church, we've always had a dream and a vision beyond ourselves. We, we have to. We, we have to. I know sometimes that's hard. But it has to be big enough and faith-filled enough that there is no way in the human that we're going to see it or do it. But the only thing that's going to cause it to happen is a remarkable move of God among us, which, by the way, I believe for. Uh, if, if you don't, I'm going to, we're going to drag you there because I think that's what we do. We drag people there. We pick them up and we carry them towards Jesus. I've got faith for this. It's not, but it's also it's not just pie in the sky. We've got to pray like it depends on God, but we've got to work like it depends on us. But with all of that in mind, I want to land this on you on a level that each of you know that what we do, what we say and how we act, the way we live and the influence that we carry is going to actually make a difference to the city around us, that you are the hands, the feet and the voice of Jesus and that in the environment you work or live, you can make and will make a significant difference because the power of God lives in you. So this is where the one concept works. We've always said part of the vision of this church is that we want to build a community that will live the way Jesus did, seeking to shape the culture of Manchester one life at a time. So we have to go for the one, to grab hold of the one plus concept. That's what I want to call it this morning so you can remember it. It's the plus one concept. So whether it's a tiny habit or a larger one, we've got to learn to live in the plus one. Imagine like a... It's, it's not quite like this, but imagine a horizontal line, okay, where one represents someone who was never known, never interacted, and never previously considered Jesus. And on the other end, on the hundred, you've got someone whose life is fully surrendered, fully knowing and understanding and loving Jesus. All we do is plus one. So every act of service, every act of kindness, thoughtfulness, encouragement, whether it's big or small, you're just plus oneing. I, I take my bins out for my neighbours, plus one. I go round their house, we have a barbecue, we spend time together, plus one. I encourage a struggling mum at the checkout in the supermarket, plus one. We just find plus one, plus one, plus one. 
whether I know them or not, whether I'm getting to know them well or not, whether it's a random interaction and I may never see them again, plus one. All we do is plus one. So it's a process that I think allows us to move from, I can't do anything. I, I can't make a difference. God wouldn't actually use me, would he? To hang on a minute, he can use me. And actually he wants to use all of us. And we move from this, this is something I just do when I'm in churchy mode. Do you know that mode? Sometimes I think you feel a bit more churchy, so you're more likely to want to do something. To actually, uh, this is just what we do all the time. So I'm not an evangelist, <laughs> nor am I. Like, what even does that word mean? <laughs> what? Don't evangelize me. What? Just, just live out Jesus around me. Just plus one me. Sometimes that's just going to be a smile. Sometimes that's just going to be a knowing nod to somebody that you may never meet again. We've built some, I would say personally, it's not about us, but we've built some phenomenal relationships with some people in our local area, literally just by smiling at them or just actually plus wanting them because next time you see them, it's plus two and we go on and on and on. It starts to grow. See, a, a snowflake seems like nothing. Stick them together and you're going to stop traffic. Now, imagine the difference we'd make in this city if each of us did three things every day. Firstly, we connect with God. Secondly, we encourage someone else in this church. And thirdly, we added plus one to somebody's life who didn't know Jesus. Can I encourage you honestly to do that? I don't want this just to be a theory. Let's go and do it. Let that be the takeaway today. If every day we committed to those things, I think we'd see an increased level of transformation in the society around us that we find daily ways to connect with God, that we find a daily way to encourage somebody else because he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. We daily connect with God. We find somebody. I want to, I want to find one of you and I want to encourage you. And then we plus one somebody who doesn't know Jesus. If I was to stick that into three phrases that all begin with the same letter because that's the kind of person I am. Believing, belonging, blessing. That's what we want to do. By doing and committing to this, let, let me just increase our dreams. I think we've got a dream of something that's a God dream rather than a human dream. I want to paint a picture of having a vision beyond human capability or capacity. What is that? Well, I, I, I dream that more kids would be adopted in this city. That actually they wouldn't need adopting in the first place because they're living in healthy families. That there would be fewer children that are born outside of marriage, that the divorce rate would go down, that there would be more children who would have breakfast before school and would have food to eat at the weekend, that there would be more open doors and open hearts to people who are not like us. We, we, you could go on and on and on and on, and we could. I'm, I'm going to save it because of time, but there, 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 there would be a difference in the world around us because of the difference the fathers made to us in the church environment, that we're inwardly strong, but we're outwardly focused. It was never intended that we were bodybuilders showing off power and, and babbling on about our moral superiority. We're not in competition with other churches. We aren't trying to build a large thing or an impressive thing. We want to be equipped for works of service. It has been, it is, and it will be hard graft. We've got to know that. But our minds should be fixed on, let's do something. Let's be a people that fix something. Let's go and build something. Because we long for the kingdom to extend in this city and not be confined to the church. What if we 
became a place where, where you were regularly given opportunities and outlets to engage in the world in such a way that something would be different or something would be better. Because we're not looking for an audience to fill the church. We're looking for an army to change the world. I believe that is a calling on each of our lives individually, but also collectively. Why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.